What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you get all of our podcast articles, news and notes, every bit of fantasy baseball content that we produce here at Sports Ethos. You guys find it over there. That's E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter, please do go to sportsethos.com and you get all that same great work over there. But guys, we finally have uh, a confirmed destination on Shohei Otani. I know the way that the show works is we are a weekday show. We go Monday through Friday. He signed on the Saturday, so... Yes, we already know that he is a Dodger, unless you've been living under the sea, under Patrick Starr's rock. You know what happened already. So I'm not breaking any news here. Obviously, you guys are not coming here to find out what happened, but we're going to break it down today, what it means from a fantasy point of view. It was obviously crushing, first and foremost, here as a Blue Jay fan, to be in the midst of this. Now, if you guys have followed along with this show for however long, you know, a couple of months, maybe a year, maybe two years, whatever... Shohei's been a trade topic for not a lot of it, but like maybe half of the time I've been doing this show and my whole stance on it has been, he's going to be a Dodger. Not even just trade topic, but free agent speculation, all of it. I've always thought he was going to be a Dodger. And that only really shifted over this last week or so when all these betting markets were changing and we had the whole chaos on Friday that I kind of talked about on the Friday pod where we were not really sure what was happening. We knew the report. By the time I recorded the show on Friday, we knew the report of the whole plane thing was bogus, but I still had hope based on some of the reporting that we'd seen that it was going to come through, that he was going to be a Blue Jay. But he signed the biggest contract in sports history to go to the Dodgers. It appears the Blue Jays may have been used as a decoy, and I, I don't know, I can get myself all stirred up over all that. You, you guys know, obviously, how I feel about the Jays. I'm not going to get into that because we don't really know. We have no you know, all the talk of like, oh, Robert Herjavec, the guy who was on the plane, he was a plant, and it was only there as a diversion. It's like Robert Herjavec is a, I believe, a, is he a billionaire? I think he's you know hundreds of millions of dollars. This guy's been on you know Shark Tank in the United States and Dragons Den, which is the Canadian equivalent. Like this guy has you know massive money. I don't know that he's going to be um, taking any money or doing anything so that he can be a part of a plot. So I think some of the conspiracy theories are kind of crazy. It does suck as a Blue Jays fan, but I am starting to move on from it. I think the Jays will do some other things this off season. We might have to overspend on a Bellinger or maybe to bring back Matt Chapman, but. I'm moving on from that aspect of it. It did suck, don't get me wrong, uh, but we did have a few beers over the course of the weekend to kind of get over it. But we're going to talk today about the fantasy point of view, and that could not be rosier probably for any free agent. First of all, let's just talk about the average free agent. You go and sign with the Dodgers and you're in that lineup, that's going to be a huge boost for you. They have arguably the best lineup in all of baseball you want to talk about the Braves, who are definitely uh, in contention for that. They're the only other team that's really on this stratosphere at this point. Because if you look at the Dodgers' projected lineup, and there's a few different ways I've seen it drawn up, but you've got Mookie Betts, Shohei Otani, and Freddie Freeman at the top three. And again, if you guys have listened to the show for a long time, I have talked about that through all our position reviews when we've talked about these players, about, guys, <laughs> this lineup next year is going to be absolutely ridiculous. We already saw this year that it was ridiculous. The numbers that Betts and Freeman put up were near career best seasons from both of them. And now you're adding Shohei Otani to bat either in front of them or in the middle or behind them, wherever, however it works out. This Dodgers lineup is going to be very scary. And that's not to take anything away from the couple of the guys who are going to be projected to bat right after them. Will Smith, Max Muncy, James Outman. 
these guys are all going to be able to benefit from their RBI potential, right? They are going to constantly have these guys on base in front of them. The odd base hit here and there is going to be two RBIs and RBI here and there where it's not going to be on a lot of other teams. That is where you get the huge benefit, obviously, of this lineup. There are some players that I've talked about are kind of, you know, it's not really dependent at all on what their lineup looks like around them. Bobby Witt was a big example this year, but it doesn't really matter who you are. You're going to get a boost from this lineup. Now, as you move farther down, like the six through eight guys aren't going to be impacted a ton. Yeah, there are still going to be potentially more guys on base for them. But once you get down, like even potentially like the eight guy, but specifically the nine hitter who right now is projected to be Gavin Lux, you know, he gets on base at all, and there's a good chance that he is going to be driven in because of the guys that are batting right in front of him at the top of that order. So he's not going to be somebody that's terribly expensive, Gavin Lux, in drafts. He didn't play at all last season. I don't know how interested the average person is going to be, but in NFBC drafts right now, there have been 95 of them so far. His ADP is 268. Second base and outfield eligible player. So that right there off the bat is really interesting. But then you're getting a pretty reasonable price between 210 and 353 right there for Gavin Lux. That's going to be kind of interesting, I think, for a lot of people. And I haven't really, you know, I haven't been listening to so many podcasts recently. I'm usually somebody who's on top of it, but I'm not sure how much Gavin Lux is being talked up, but he's going to be a guy who's going right in that range of like, you know, if you're talking those Yahoo ESPN type of leagues, if that ADP sticks and there's a good chance it'll stick you know, relatively, it might not be exactly like 270, but it might be like 250 to 300 kind of range. Take a shot with your last round or two in a Yahoo league, and you might get a, a guy who's going to be sticking on your team for the entire year. Again, he didn't play at all this past season, which is going to be pushing him down further down draft boards. But if you look at what the most recent sample size was for Gavin Lux in 2022, Six home runs, seven stolen bases, nothing crazy, but a good plate profile, 20% strikeout rate, 10% walk rate, a 276 batting average, and a 114 WRC+. plus. That's what he looked like last time we saw him in the bigs, which was 2022. He's a good shortstop. He projects to be there every day shortstop, or excuse me, second baseman, um, I think. I mean, I'm not really sure 100% actually what it's going to look like, but I mean, Mookie has been talked about as the second baseman, whether or not that sticks. I don't know if Dave Roberts is 100% serious about that, but Gavin Lux, whether it is at second base or at shortstop, I'm not really 100% sure. Again, you trust Dave Roberts, but it is very early in the offseason. Who knows what their offseason moves are going to look like going forward. If they really want to have an outfield that has Chris Taylor in it, maybe they'll upgrade with an outfield acquisition, but... Either way, Gavin Lux is going to get regular playing time, whether it is at second base or at shortstop. Let's call it shortstop for now. And even if it is a shortstop, which I'm still kind of not 100% sure where it's going to be, but let's say it's shortstop, that just adds another position of eligibility for him. So this is obviously not the Gavin Lux assessment show. We're going to be talking more about the impact to the top of the order. But Gavin Lux is somebody who is going to maybe be a sneaky uh, pick because of where he is going to be slotted. And a lot of people will see that number nine and kind of disregard it too. Maybe some people and, you know, the sharper people in fantasy, the guys who play in, you know, thousands of dollar buy-in leagues are going to be aware of this. But the average guy in your home league might not. That, you know, Gavin Lux, as a nine hitter in that lineup, he gets on, he's turned around with Mookie Betts, Shohei Otani, and Freddie Freeman. And then you keep it going, Will Smith, Max Muncie. So that looks very good. Now, the biggest winner here, honestly, I don't know if you can say it's Shohei because Shohei is one of those guys who is kind of one of those, like I said, recession-proof type of players. doesn't matter how god-awful the lineup is. He is going to be able to hold his own here, right? He does get a benefit, obviously, from being around those players. 
But we saw in 135 games, he had 102 runs and 95 ribbies. In the whole season, you're on pace for like, you know, what is that, 115 and 105 or something like that. So he's already one of those players who's going to really, really benefit. But I think the major takeaway here from a fantasy point of view for me is that Mookie Betts becomes the absolute solidified number two pick behind Ronald Acuna in drafts. Now, he was already going as the number two pick in a lot of places. His ADP is 5.6, but the minimum pick is number two, and he will go there on occasion. If you go to the NFBC, like I've mentioned, if you go to their ADP page, it will give you kind of a scatter plot of where a guy is going. And he is still going in that kind of range, not as much recently, <clears throat> excuse me, but we still do see him go as a top two or top three pick fairly regularly falling to maybe as late as about six or seven, depending on the draft room. But I think given what you're getting out of Mookie Betts, considering again, that he is going to be a second base and outfield eligible guy on the NFBC from the top of the draft there, which is hugely valuable. We have talked about this, but if you've missed me talk about it on different shows, that flexibility of that level of player at the beginning of your draft, a lot of people and even myself, we will disregard it sometimes depending on your build. And at that point, it's really just best player available, I guess. But when you consider what Mookie did last season in this lineup, 126 runs, 107 RBIs, when a lot of people, myself included, thought the Dodgers were going to take kind of a step back, right? Losing Trey Turner, they lost Seager the year before. They didn't seem like they were really going to be a team that was going to be able to hold that firepower. Yet they did. So Mookie, regardless of the position eligibility, not to mention the 39 homers, 14 steals, and a 307 batting average, he was somebody that, even with the amazing Ronald Acuna season, was still talked about as somebody who could have been an MVP for a lot of the year. That was a discussion point. I was never on that train myself, but it was talked about a lot. Now, when you factor in the multi-position eligibility, that you can move him from the infield to the outfield, depending on how your draft is going, that becomes huge. It doesn't really matter what your format is either. I've talked about this. If you're in an NFBC league and you need to fill five outfield slots, outfield is not a terribly deep position. It's really not. So you're probably going to be using him as an outfielder in an NFBC league. But let's say you're in a draft champions type of format and you draft you know, eight, nine outfielders because you can't pick up any during the season. You need to have that kind of insurance. And let's say you get six really excellent outfielders. You hit on a late one. Last year, I hit on James Outman and Jaron Duran in a couple of late drafts. If you're in that kind of situation, then you have the luxury of being able to move Mookie to second base. Now, you're probably putting him in the outfield in an NFBC league regardless. But you do have that flexibility depending on how your draft and how your team shakes out, depending on who you can get on waivers and et cetera, et cetera. If you're in one of those more shallow leagues, if you're in a 12-team Yahoo league, because NFBC, we're generally talking 15-team leagues. There are 12-teamers on there, but the majority of the formats are 15s. Let's say you're talking a 12-team league where you only need to fill three outfield spots. You need one second base spot. There's no middle or corner infield spots because that's the Yahoo standard, right? One catcher, you get one, one first baseman, one second, one third, one short, three outfielders, and you get a couple utility spots. So your outfield needs in those leagues go down from 75 in a standard Yahoo or in a standard NFBC league to 36. So outfield becomes less of a point that you need to stress in your draft and in, in the everything and every aspect of the league. So you might take Mookie Betts there and you're going to put him at second base because second base isn't the deepest position in and of itself, but you have that flexibility in the shallower format to not have to take an outfielder in the first round because even after the outfielders are taken, the starting outfielders are taken, you're still talking about a guy who might be like the outfielder 38 or the outfielder 41. 
if you're really waiting on outfielders in an NFBC league to use the direct comparison, not that you would do this, but if you're waiting to, for the reserve rounds to fill your starting outfield spots, then you're talking about the outfielder 77 or 82 or whatever. So it makes a huge difference. But having that versatility in Mookie, regardless of your format, is huge. And the argument that I made on the NFBC side can be reversed on the Yahoo side. You might take him and put him in at second base, and then you realize, well, you hit on a second baseman that you were able to pick up, whoever it was, some guy who's called up in the middle of the season or a guy that is coming out of nowhere and has some value, whoever that guy might be. And then you say, okay, I'll move Mookie to the outfield. I don't really need this other guy. He's become a redundancy. And now I have a free spot to stream a pitcher or whatever. So don't overlook that multi-eligibility because it's very rare this season if you're talking NFPC leagues. There are not a lot of guys. I saw somebody tweet about it recently that I believe there are six players in the top 100 who are multi-eligible. And if you go through right now, uh, I think he's correct. Mookie Betts at second and outfield as the fifth player on average off the board. After that, you got Ellie De La Cruz, third and short. You got Gunnar Henderson, third and short. After that, you got to go all the way to Cody Bellinger, first and outfield, Matt McClain, second and short, Nico Horner, second and short, and then Hassan Kim was second, third, and short. That's it in the entire top 100. So you're talking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in the entire top 100 that you even have that flexibility for. I know a lot of the time you're going to draft somebody early on, and I've made this argument myself in the past. You're not really going to be moving them around so much. You're going to draft, you know, last year Bobby Witt with multi-position eligibility, wherever you're drafting him third and short, you're putting him at one position, he's sticking there the whole year. But I've kind of come around to realize how valuable that can be just because of the unpredictability of the season and because of the unpredictability of your draft as well. You might plan it out and say, okay, I'm drafting him to play second. He's going to play second. And then you find that you just get a second baseman way later down the board than you might have anticipated in your league. And then you think, okay, well, now I can put him in the outfield. I just got a huge steal on maybe it's Gavin Lux. Maybe you're putting Gavin Lux at second base. Or maybe it's a Jorge Polanco, Jeff McNeil, whatever. Maybe you got a really nice deal on Zach Geloff or Horner or whoever it is. And you're thinking, okay, I don't need to use Mookie at second base. Now he goes to the outfield. And I think you can't really overestimate how valuable that can be as a resource to be able to move him around like that. So you take you talk about all of that, and then you add in to a guy who, like we talked about last year, already had 126 runs and 107 ribbies. And now you're going to put Shohei Otani, who by a lot of metrics was the best hitter in all of Major League Baseball last season, right either in front of him or behind him in that order, that's going to be a really scary thought for all of baseball, specifically the National League West. But for fantasy managers, if you can get one of those three guys, they're all going to be first-round players. You are going to be looking at almost 100% guaranteed, You know, talking health-wise, of course, because that's going to factor in here as well. You're guaranteeing yourself at least 110 runs probably in 110 RBIs. And I'll even go farther than like 100 and 100 because that's what these guys have been doing already without each other. And I know sometimes we can kind of overestimate this kind of impact, but you're talking, again, if you just look at leaderboards from last season and you look at who were the best hitters in Major League Baseball, and you can look specifically at the National League and see where Shohei would have ranked and blah, blah, blah. But if you even just look at all of baseball here, you're talking about the best hitters in the league pretty much. Like not one, two, and three in every category, but pretty damn near close, right? You're talking about WRC+. 
Shohei Otani was first in all of baseball. Mookie was fourth. Freddie Freeman was sixth. If you look at ex-WOBA, Otani was second. Mookie was fourth. Freddie was fifth. If you want to just look at WOBA itself, Shohei first, Mookie fourth, Freddie sixth, right? There are so many different categories where you can look at and point to the elite nature of these guys on their own. I know Mookie and Freddie were together, but, you know, let's call that one entity and Shohei an entity. You put them together, I don't know that there is any limit to what we can see here. Shohei is just that good, and that's why it hurts so much to lose him as a Blue Jay fan. I know it was only like a 24-hour stretch where we really thought we had him, but just the thought of having a player of that magnitude in your lineup for the next 10 years is just utterly ridiculous to think about what that could mean for your city and for your franchise, right? The Dodgers, the thing with them now is they absolutely have to come away with a championship in the next probably three years. And it has to be without any of the, you know, Mickey Mouse kind of allegations, which I don't even buy into, but a lot of people point to their championship and they'll say, okay, it's a pandemic championship. A lot of people do it for all the major championships that happened that season. Um, the Lakers as well, I believe it was. I, I, I don't buy into that. I think it's just as hard that season as any other season. But regardless, the Dodgers haven't won in a full season since 19, what is it, 1988? It's been a very, somewhere in the late 80s, I think. I'm not sure. It's before I was born. But it's been a long time since the Dodgers have won a World Series in a full season. Now with Shohei, with Mookie, with Freeman, they're going to have to do something in the next couple of seasons. They're not going to be able to stomach these playoff losses. They will financially because this is going to be a cash cow. And that's the other part of it is the finances. A $700 million contract is the largest ever given out in sports history. It's bigger than the contracts that you see in Europe given out to guys like Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. These guys, I think they were getting like 600 and some odd million dollars if you transferred it over. I saw some graphic, but this is the richest one in sports history. If you transfer it over to Canadian dollars, it's nearly a billion. It's like $950 million. It's a hell of a lot of money. And a lot of people were thinking off the bat, how are the Dodgers going to be able to pay this? How are they going to be able to feel the rest of the team and pay Mookie and Freddie and whoever else? It's because of most of the money, and I don't know if there's been exact figures released. I haven't seen anything. I feel like it'll be big news when it is. So I, I don't think I've missed it here. A lot of this money is deferred. So they are not going to be spending $70 million a year on Shohei Otani for the next 10 years. They're going to be spending what is probably going to be in the 30 to $40 million range and then paying him the rest of that money after he retires or after the duration of the contract. Who knows what he's going to do in 10 years. Hard to imagine that he's going to still be playing. He'll be like 39 years old when the contract expires. It's a long ways away. We have no idea what his career is going to look like, if he's going to pitch again, if he'll be strictly a DH. Maybe he does play beyond that. If he isn't able to pitch as much as we maybe think, that'll probably add to the durability of Otani, and maybe he goes beyond the 10 years. But regardless of that, the Dodgers now have a lot more financial flexibility than they would have had if Otani had signed a regular deal. And all the signs have pointed to this being Otani's idea himself. This was not something that the team necessarily wanted to do. Otani wants them to be able to feel the competitive team around him. Now, you got to think that... They are going to go out there and they are going to sign one of the marquee pitchers left on the market. Whether it's Yamamoto or Blake Snell, that would be the likely two options. Maybe they go the trade route. There's been talk of maybe a Glass now or a Dylan Cease being moved around. And I believe the Dodgers were mentioned on both of those guys. And it does make sense, right? 
Clayton Kershaw is not expected to pitch next year. There were some reports that he might come back later in the summer, but I've also seen other reports that what he is recovering from will take 18 to 20 months or something in that range, maybe 16 to 18 months. So I don't expect Clayton Kershaw to pitch at all next season. He's not somebody you should take really in any fantasy draft. If you're in the very last round of a draft champions and he's still sitting there, I, I, I don't even know if he's being drafted in those leagues. Maybe, I don't know. But he's not somebody that's going to be able to be relied upon. I'm actually kind of curious. I'm going to check that out right now and see if Clayton Kershaw has been drafted. Uh, yeah, he has been drafted between picks 86. I guess that was before the news broke and as late as 637. But he's not being drafted in every draft. So I guess it really depends on your format. Regardless, Clayton's not somebody they can rely on next year. And if you look at their rotation, Julio Urias, I don't think he's going to be able to be there. Um, based on what happened with him criminally. I haven't heard anything about that in a while, but he's, I don't think, expected to be there. This team is looking, pitching-wise, not good. Tony Gonsolin is not going to be there, I don't think, for the whole season. He had Tommy John. Dustin May, I think he may be back later on in the season, but I don't even think that's necessarily a guarantee. Uh, Dustin May is getting drafted in some drafts. I don't really, I haven't seen news on him in a while. But all that to say is there are a lot of question marks with the Dodgers rotation. Their number one starting pitcher right now pretty much, you know, undoubtedly is going to be Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller didn't pitch in the majors at all last year. He had Tommy John surgery midway through 2022 after having a bad start to 2022 and hasn't pitched in the majors since. Now, a lot of players come back from Tommy John, especially guys who are of such a high caliber as Bueller, and they are pretty successful. The most recent noteworthy one was Justin Verlander, who came off of his Tommy John surgery and came back for a career best season at age 39 or four, whatever it was, uh, just a ridiculous year, Cy Young World Series. Now, Bueller is not from that same ilk necessarily, but he's still with that bad 402 ERA factored in uh, over his last 12 starts that he made in 2022. He's still a 302 career ERA guy with a 347 XFIP. You're talking about a 360 Sierra. It's pretty damn solid overall. You're talking about a very good strikeout to walk uh, ratio as well for his career, 27 to 6. And I think you can look at the injuries and say, okay, he did have that injury like in 2022. He was pitching with it for a while, and it's evidenced by the fact that the strikeout rate was way, way down. The velocity was pretty much in line with what we've seen little bit down maybe, but you can kind of point to that as well. Uh, even though the fastball was generally what it normally was, he wasn't throwing it nearly as much in 2022. He was throwing a lot more of his cutter, a lot more curveballs, a lot more change-ups, um, fewer sliders as well. So I think he was trying to put less strain on his arm, throwing cutters and curveballs and change-ups as opposed to the fastballs and sliders because he was hurt, and that was leading to a weakened performance from Bueller. I don't know 100% if that's true or not. Maybe it was just kind of a down year, and then he found the injury afterwards. But you got to think that he knew he was, or maybe didn't know he was injured, but he was pitching with the injury, and that was hurting his performance. So let's say you can factor in a, a great Walker-Bueller season coming back this year. And the projections, they're not really expecting that. They're expecting a 434 ERA over 26 starts. I think they're being a little unfair to him. It's probably not going to be that bad. But um, let's give the Dodgers the benefit of the doubt and say Walker Bueller is going to be the Walker Bueller that we remember as a stud, a Cy Young candidate. After that, there's a lot of uncertainty. Bobby Miller, we know Bobby Miller has incredible stuff, and there's a potential for him to really take off this year. After showing some pretty impressive stuff in his first season through 22 starts, it was a 376 ERA. 
backed up by the supporting numbers as well. 393 Sierra, 375 XFIP, 345 XERA. Good strikeout to walk at 17%. It was 23.6 to 6 on the strikeout to walk rate. Really good stuff there. So they might have two really good starters, but they might also have Walker Bueller come back and not be Walker Bueller that we remember, and that's closer to the projection of a you know a north of four ERA. And Bobby Miller might just be a guy who is not quite ready yet, even though we think he's probably going to be taking a step forward. We know the refrain. I think, I don't know who coined it, but prospect growth is not linear. And even though he's not technically a quote-unquote prospect, you're talking about a guy who's only got 22 starts in the big leagues under his belt. He might take a step forward. He might, as the projections think, take a slight step back. They think that you know the walks are going to go up as well as the strikeouts, not drastically, but they think that it'll be a slightly higher strike or slightly higher walk per nine and strikeout per nine. The strikeout rate remaining about the same, but the walk rate going up. And they think it'll be an ERA that's north of four, 4.01 for Bobby Miller. So if the Dodgers are really serious about competing, especially after seeing what happened in the postseason and looking at what they have, because beyond that, Ryan Pepio, I like, I don't know if he's fully ready yet. Ryan Yarbrough, Ebbett Sheehan, these are not guys you can really rely upon as the season gets down into the Septembers and Octobers, right? They're not guys that you're really going to want to be putting out there when your season is potentially on the line. They need to go out and they need to add a pitcher. And now because of Otani's structuring of the contract and their structuring of it as well, can't give them no credit. They have to go out and they have to sign a pitcher. And the talks today about Yamamoto were that he met with the Giants. That was, I believe, the report. He met with the Giants and could land $300 million in free agency. The Yankees are also flying to LA to meet with him. But you got to think, and there's been reporting on this as well, that all the big teams are going to be involved in the bidding process. You got to think Toronto is going to try, even though pitching is not a huge need of theirs. I don't know if you really want to bank on Yusei Kikuchi and Alec Manoa. Yeah, Kikuchi, I, I trust to some extent, but he's also been up and down in his career. Manoa might bounce back. He probably will to some extent, but. If you can go out and land Yamamoto, you'd earn some goodwill with the fan base, and you'd also probably you know, give yourself a definite boost in that rotation. You got Yamamoto, Gosman, uh, Bassett, and Barrios, and then you got either Kikuchi or Manoa, whatever, potential Ricky Tiedemann innings. I think that would be really good for Toronto. The Mets are also going to be involved because the Mets haven't really been involved in free agency and trade so far. They didn't make much of an attempt at Soto from what I've heard, and they didn't even offer to, want, uh, to Shohei Otani at all. They didn't make Shohei an offer at all. So... I think they're going to make some kind of go at it here, but I think the Dodgers, you know, realistically speaking, need to take that money that they found in their hand and make a go at it here. I think the Braves should also make an attempt at Yamamoto. I haven't really heard them link to him at all, but the Braves are a team that has some questions about their own pitching staff. You know, Strider and Free to the top, excellent. After that, Charlie Morton, who is getting real old, he's 40. Bryce Elder, who fell apart down the stretch. And then Reynaldo Lopez, who they're going to try and stretch out into a starting pitcher. Eh, I don't really know if that's 100% sound either. So these two teams that are you know, going to be the absolute workhorses in the National League, both going to win 100 games almost assuredly. The Braves and the Dodgers have a lot of questions with their pitching rotations. The Mets can try, and the Mets may be able to do it because they can probably outbid a lot of these teams. But, I mean, the Dodgers just showed how deep their pockets are. And part of it might be that they don't have to worry about it. And, you know, that's another point that was brought up. The Dodgers' current front office is going to be not worried about this money because it's probably going to be somebody else's problem in 10 years when they have to actually worry about paying Otani 10, 15 years down the line. 
So they're going to throw more money. They're going to need to throw more money at a lot of different positions because the Dodgers are not done. They can't be done, right? And that has to be part of the pitch that they made to Shohei Otani. We'll get you and we'll continue to build, right? They just gave Jason Hayward a good bit of money. It was like, what, $8 million or something like that, $9 million he's going to play. Uh, but maybe he shouldn't. Maybe he should be more of like a you know platoon type of guy, shouldn't be playing regularly. That's what they kind of expect, that he'll be a platoon but Chris Taylor as well as a big wild card. So like, there are places where they can upgrade, specifically in the outfield, and I think that they <clears throat> kind of need to do that, outfield and pitching staff, to really prove that they are actually worthy of this. Because they have Otani, it's almost a responsibility at this point to continue to build your team. You saw what the Angels did over the last six years in your same state, and they shit all over the opportunity, right? They made some attempts to try and compete, but even like we saw this year, Randall Gritchuk and C.J. Crone, you know, very feeble attempts to actually put yourself over the line. I think that the Angels should have traded Shohei Otani, to be honest with you. But the Dodgers, they, I've said that a long time ago, but the Dodgers here, a whole other point there I could get into. The Dodgers have a responsibility to keep adding, right? They have the money. They have more money in hand than they probably should because of Shohei's generosity, according to the reports. So go out and spend that money. Go out and get Yamamoto. Go out and get potentially Blake Snell, even though that wouldn't be my preference because I think Blake Snell is probably not as great as, you know, like we've talked about here. He's probably overshot his metrics this season. But in any event, the Dodgers are excellent. The Dodgers are going to be scary good. It's just a matter, I think, at this point of continuing to add pieces to that pitching rotation because that is where you're eh, not 100% sold on what they're telling you. And even the bottom half of that order, you know, uh, it's really excellent at the top. Obviously, Mookie, Shohei, and Freeman and Will Smith is ridiculous. Outman, Taylor, Hayward, and Lux is pretty good, but it's not like this fearsome holy shit type of lineup, you know? So there are still things that they can do. It's a long off season, but we'll, of course, be there. If you guys have any questions about anything, of course, shoot them over to me at JoeOrico99 over on Twitter at EthosFantasyBB. Go give us a follow there. That's where you get all of our new podcasts, articles, polls, every bit of baseball content, and, of course, SportsEthos.com is the website, guys. Until tomorrow, we will get into our relief pitcher rankings as of right now. There's nothing else that's really that earth-shattering for me. If Yamamoto signs, I don't know if I'll do a whole show on it necessarily. We might, but I think I'm probably going to get into relief pitcher reviews tomorrow, uh, regardless of what happens. So I'll leave you guys there. Until then, guys, take care. Have a great night, and cheers. Cheers.